This program is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you like what you hear and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm. You're listening to Panel Borders on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB in London. I'm Alex Fitch, and in today's program, we have a special look at the output of a young British graphic novels publisher, Avery Hill. In a group discussion, I'm talking to co-publisher of Avery Hill, Dave White, their publicist, Catriona Chapman, and three of the artists who have produced graphic novels for the publisher, Owen Pomery, EDOP, and Matthew Swan. Perhaps we should start with you, Dave, as you're one of the two kind of official publishers of Avery Hill. How did you and Ricky get together to form a comics publishing company? I've known Ricky since we were at school, so um, far more years than than, than I care to remember. Um, And we've always been involved in various creative endeavours together. Um, It all faded in the main. Um, (laughs) We were in a terrible band, for instance, um, for for, for more years than we should have. And about... uh, I was thinking about this on the way up, actually, trying to get the timeline right. About six years ago, we started um, printing... um, putting together a zine called Tiny Dancing. Mm. Um, which collected together, it was, it was just a group of, of people we know, working myself amongst it, and it was just um, any work that anyone wanted to put together. And it, uh, there were some comic strips in there, there was some illustration, there was some photography, some creative writing, some poetry, anything that anyone wanted to put together. And um, the first one, I think we, I, I did about 50 at work on, on, on our photocopier, uh, kind of snuck in over a, a weekend um, and gave them away for free. Really enjoyed it. Um, did a few more. People started getting in touch and, and started seeing, saying, "Can we contribute?" Um, so we started getting more and more people involved. Um, one of those quite early on was Tim Bird, um, who, who um, we still work with. Hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so it just went from there. We, we started getting half the things was comics, half of it was other stuff. We found it was difficult for people to get a, a real read on what what. It, whether it was a comics anthology, whether it was a, a you know a genuine zine, so we split the comics out into uh, its own anthology, which which, which we called Reads, um, and we started putting that out. And um, Owen started contributing as well mm. um, through that period. Um, and probably about three and a half to four years ago, I think uh, Tim came to us with a um, full length comic, a twenty four page comic, which was his first issue of Grey Area, um, and asked us if we wanted to wanted to put that out. And we did, and that was the first time we published someone, uh, something by someone that didn't have any, any of us involved and was, was just worked by one, a story by one person, so, so, so a work by one person. Um, and it's just, it's just snowballed from there, really. Um, we, we got to know more people. Um, Owen's um, original self-published run of Between, <coughs> Between the Billboards was, was, was really important. That, that was something I found really early, and mm. it kind of opened my eyes to, to the, the standard of work that's out there. Um, in the in the self published small press scene, um, and Simon Morton as well, um, who, who was publishing his his smooth um, series at the time, um, and it, yeah, like I say, it kind of opened our eyes to what what we could potentially do. So we started working mm. with people like that. We, we put out a, a collection of Simon's work um, probably about two and a half years ago, um, and then we worked with Ed. So it's it's just kind of snowballed from there. We've always loved comics. That, that's what that's what it comes back to. Mm. Um, you know, whether it was 
um, Bino and, and Dandy and Beezer and um, Chips and so on through to things like 2000 AD and Transformers uh, UK yeah. um, and in the, then into Marvel and DC and then you know kind of your, your, your um, horizons expand a little bit so, so that kind of love of comics always trying to do something creative and trying to work together on something and then finding these amazing people people to work with mm. and it's interesting that apart from having you know your logo on the back there's no obvious kind of Avery Hill uh, branding you're open to any kind of like format size black and white colour I guess it's just uh, that the publisher in a way is kind of a badge of quality that if perhaps someone likes one Avery Hill title they might like to try another yeah hopefully um, for us it's about the work we are as much as we enjoy working with the creators and and, and the editorial process and and how different that can look from one one book to another and one creator to another um, the the most important thing is getting the work out there in in the best way that we can so um, yeah we're we're by no means precious about you know having a real plastered across it it's Mm. it's um, some some creators will, will put it on the cover. That's absolutely fine. We don't mm. ask for that. You know, it's just it's part of the design process for them and what they're happy with. Uh, we might sneak a little logo on the spine if it, if we can fit it in. It, it's whatever fits fits the book, the work, and, and, and the project best. Mm. Really, it's um, that's the main thing: getting getting the work presented in the best way. Where does the logo come from? Um, it, so we grew up in an area um, in, in South London um, near to Avery Hill. Avery Hill is a, is a park. Um, mm. It's in New Eltham, actually. Um, and when we were at school, we used to go to, uh, to a pub nearby um, of a weekend. Um, and when it chucked out at 11, we'd climb into the park next door, which was Avery Hill Park, over the... And, and the only way to get over there without doing yourself some serious damage, uh, especially if you've got you know kind of coordination balance balance issues like me, is uh, it was to, to climb over the roadside. Mm. So I've actually got a photo of Ricky. He's actually coming the other way, <laughs> but we thought we wanted we wanted the image of someone going into Avery Hill rather than fleeing for their life. <laughs> so so we, we reversed that. But um, so Ricky's face would have to be in it. Yeah, yeah. on the nose, wouldn't it? Yeah, no, no one's ever managed to capture that. that, that <laughs> Uh, accurately uh, <laughs> today, so so yeah, it's it's actually, it's um, so it, it's, it's a link to our to our past, where, you know, growing mm. up and so on. Um, somewhere that that's, I suppose sort of fond memories, um, mm. and something we actually we actually did as well. So it's um, Ricky always had it in mind for something. We were going to use it for something, and then that, that was that was the that was the obvious time to use it. Nice. I mean, Owen, uh, you've contributed to the Reads anthology, but at the same time you were self-publishing uh, between the billboards. Was it with an eye to perhaps getting the graphic novel collection published by a, a different publisher rather than having to self-publish it yourself? Uh, not really. I, I sort of like lose track of the timeline of how things all went around there. Cause I, had some, I had an illustration piece in Tiny Dancing, actually. Yeah. And then I had a, a couple of pieces in the... Maybe it was one or two. I can't remember. In like the early, early reads volumes as well. Um, but the first thing to come out was... Uh, the Megatherium Club so I did volume mm. one of that based on a two pager that happened in Reeds um, and I saw it as a vehicle for that really I was all, I was self-publishing uh, between the billboards which was um, six parts but I don't know how many parts we were on when I first met you guys I think it was only, it was only a few I think we were halfway through yeah, okay. when I first came across it yeah so I, I, I didn't really have any aspirations for it or for my sort of life in comics at all really um, but when it was complete just from talking to people, it did seem that like people wanted it as a as a bigger book, mm. uh, as a complete book, and it was always intended as 
a complete book. I've just done it in installments because I couldn't think of any other way to do it. Yeah. Um, it just seemed more manageable that way. But um, but yeah, we talked about doing it and putting other bits and pieces in it, and which is why it became Twin Billboards and the Author of Architecture. So there's other material I've done, some stuff that had also come up in in earlier yeah, a couple reads, of reads things, and then some new stuff, and then like a, a new thing that sort of tied it all together as well. Yeah, starring your good self. Well, yes, yeah. Well, <laughs> certainly the uh, uh, the self portrait on the inside back cover is drawn the same way as the character in the bar, which seems <laughs> to suggest that it's you. <laughs> that, that's that's the, probably the correct assumption to make. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we we we, we contemplate that quite a lot. We were very keen to to, to reprint uh, or, or put billboards together, but equally. We don't see there's a lot of point in just you know kind of taking six issues, putting them in, in one you know kind of slightly bigger issue and presenting mm-hmm. it. So we were talking around um, other material we could put with it and framing techniques. We worked quite a long time on it, didn't we? We did, yeah. So, I mean, I sort of remastered all the sort of all the content of billboards anyway, so that mm-hmm. took like quite a long time and sort of tweaked a few things and re-edited it a little bit. Um, and then yeah, the additional material. There's a sort of small essay in there. And then, as you say, the sort of comic that runs through, which sort of binds all those pieces together. So, yeah, it did take a bit of crafting, didn't it? Yeah, it, did, it yeah. didn't help that we'd had all our editorial meetings in the pub. That didn't probably <laughs> yeah. help with the timing. Yeah, yeah. no, I, was I, think, I think we got to where we, we had quite a few <laughs> meetings as well. We did, we did. Maybe, maybe a few too many. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose, you know, when you're working with a, a publisher, it means that you can kind of hand off responsibility for publicity. <laughs> but that was, um, yeah, I mean, as I say, I had no real sort of plans to do this, and but it... Yeah, it makes a lot like makes a lot more sense. I mean, we kind of started. You started every hill about the same time that I started. Probably, yeah. Started yeah, doing it myself. Work it back. So, yeah, we were sort of both growing about the same time, but just being, you know, aware of by different people, made it really, really good. Yeah. And, and the publicity thing is a big part of what that, that's what we're here to do. Um, I, I think if you talk to people with self-publishing, uh, you know, there's, there's making the work. Putting it together, um, and you know all the all the time and effort that takes, um, and then you've got to present it, um, publicise it, and get it into shops. And, and, stuff. and the same with um, like attending shows and stuff. Mm. I mean, there's there's shows you wouldn't necessarily attend as an individual because it's just too uneconomic to do it. But to know that your book is going to be at that show with Avery Hill, mm. um, you know, it might sell, it might not, but you wouldn't have necessarily taken a risk on it before. But it's going to be there anyway. Mm. Sounds quite nice. Edie, you're another contributor to the Reads anthology. Uh, Volume 2 sees you creating a different monster uh, for each issue and, you know, the kind of charming life that the uh, monsters live, even if it means, for example, they're infecting everything they touch around them. (laughs) (laughs) What is it with you and monsters? Oh, that was... was, The Reads thing, I, I was quite... Uh, that was when I was still quite new to longer length things, I think, and that was when like an eight-page comic was quite a challenge for me. And uh, it's the first anthology, uh, first anthology I'd worked on, and I think I just got the wrong end of the stick with that it was meant to be a series. So after I'd done the first one, and then you guys were like, "Oh, what's going to happen to Lucius Jellybean next?" And I was like, "No, no, it's done." Um, and then I was like, "Oh, right." Uh, so I kind of thought, right, well, to keep some sort of continuity, because otherwise it's just going to be all over the place. I've got like a, a book at home um, that's basically it's like my monster book. So anytime I sort of have an idea for a monster, or if I'm just a bit like uh, need to sort of have a bit of a creative exercise I just sort of like make up monsters so I mm. kind of just picked them out of the 
out of the monster book, really. So whenever it came to the next read, I want to kind of have a flick through and be like, oh, we'll uh, sort of see where that one can go. I mean, it kind of works, actually, in the anthology's um, favour. Instead of having four serialised strips, you've got three serialised strips and a short story, but by the same author each time, which works really well. Oh, I'm glad I did get worried, actually, after I realised I was the only one that was doing that, that I was ruining it. I was like, oh, <laughs> I've lowered the tone. <laughs> if you look at our kind of publicity between the mm. first and second issue, the first one's all about four ongoing strips. We realised that it was going to be thematically similar, except not, mm. not serialised. The, the, the language changes ever so slightly. But no, I, I think you're right. We, we talked about this, though, because like, there were a bit of mis- like I think <laughs> I... Uh, I just missed, I got the wrong end of the stick, I think, and then I think you guys just thought I was being a maverick about it or something. It was like, no, she's just doing what she wants, and really I was just there like, yeah, this is what they want, and it was just like me. But, like, I, I always sort of like to think of myself as being quite structured and with it and things like that, but I've actually realised that I, I can be a little bit, like, a bit scatterbrained, I think. I viewed, it, I viewed each things. individual one as an individual story, an individual yeah, caper yeah. in mind, and then we've got like an overarching yeah, sort of yeah, thing. So each yeah. one does stand alone. So you're not too far on the limit, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> When you're um, creating the creatures in your comics, it almost seems like they start off as an ink blot, and then you think, "What can I do with this?" Is that fair to a certain extent? Um, how do you mean? Like you mean like the style-wise kind yeah. of thing? Yeah, I mean the main creature seems to be something that's sort of amorphous, almost like you're playing with the uh, materials that you're oh, working yeah, with yeah. in order to create something out of the void. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely with uh, Lucius Jellybean sort of started from that. I really like, um, I have a big book of mi- uh, microscopic photography wow. and I really like sort of viruses and that kind of thing, the way they look. Mm-hmm. Um, although actually it doesn't look like a bacteria or a virus, it's based off like a cell, I think, like a, uh, an animal cell. Uh, no, a plant cell. But he's sort of, I like the colour and the, you know, because they're all natural colours mm-hmm. um, and I thought it was really cool. It's like blues and greens, it's really, really garish and neon so that's kind of where I got that one from and then the mural one was um, from kind of just a like it was sort of a doodling <laughs> and then I kind of put a face on it um, mm. uh, so yeah that one actually was quite an organic kind of character um, and then the third one army you know he's definitely like a I had something in mind for him I think the last two were a little bit more more mm. structured but yeah yeah definitely mural uh, he was quite a sort of ink, ink blotty to start with yeah. mm. and thematically they kind of tie in with your graphic novel as well which um, is about a whole kind of army of ink blots invading from a parallel dimension <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, yeah that was, that was based on like a, a, a sort of true paranoid theory I had at one point that there was something in the walls that was taking my socks because like, I still don't know where half of my socks are going and they never turn up again and it just I'm like there, there must just be another world inside the inside the walls I think um, and then sometimes things come back out again, so I'm like, yeah, there's something, something mm. going on. But yeah, I work, I work quite like a lot with wet media, so like ink mm. and watercolor, and I kind of like to try and let it do its own thing as much as I can in a controlled kind of, con- well, as much as I can control it, mm. um, rather than having like really heavy line work. I think. And your style seems to kind of occupy the uh, the grey zone between children's book illustration and comics, and brings elements from both. Yeah. I mean, is illustration your background rather than comics? Yeah, yeah, my background, so I've got a degree in illustration, that's ah. like my background. Um, but the issues that I was sort of having is, stylistically, I really like children's books, like I'm really, really drawn to them, but uh, I don't like children's book stories. I watch a lot of horror films and <laughs> really horrible things. 
Um, and so the content of my stories is usually like a little bit darker mm. and I think that's where it mixes together is that's just what I like visually um, and I think that's how I was drawn to creating work like that um, but story rise like the first project I did at uni was trying to do a children's book and we just got into a huge sort of fight uh, about it when I was trying to do Jonah because uh, my tutor was like you can't do that it's too scary and I was like it's not scary and like everyone gets eaten and I was like yeah but and the compromise was no teeth and no blood and then it could be a children's book um, <laughs> And that's kind of like where I started thinking, like, I don't know, maybe I should just sort of see where this goes and tell the stories properly rather than, like, mm. I don't know, sensitising them. When you've been hanging out with kids this morning at uh, the Gosh Free Comic Book yeah, Day event, yeah. um, have any of them picked up Maleficium? Uh, I've, showed, I've showed some uh, some kids the book. Um, generally, like, little kids are, are kind of unimpressed with it because it's not like... Um, <laughs> it's not enough blood. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's, to be honest, it's probably not, like, gory or uh, in your face enough or have enough... Like, kids seem to find stuff with butts in it really entertaining is what I've realised from, like, going to kids' things. Like, they like comics with, like, oh, yeah, it's really weird. Uh, I don't fully get what what children like, and I've done comic workshops for children, and there's a lot of a lot more death, vomit, horrible things worse than what I do. So when people go, oh, don't you think this is a bit scary for kids? I was like, have you seen what they'll make if you leave them, leave them to it? It's, it's terrifying. Uh, I actually did that workshop in a primary school and they never, they didn't ask me back again to do that. Um, I, I didn't follow on the golden rules. I didn't say no death and then there was just so much, so much death. Um, so, yeah, like some, some of the kids, um, they quite like it. Like they thought it was cool, I think. Um, and there was one sort of kid who was quite into sketching, so I was sort of like, look, you don't have to do, like, sort of typical marvel type stuff. Like, you can keep doing sketchy work and mm. it can get you somewhere. Because um, that's sort of where I didn't always feel like I fit into comics at first and I sort of feel like I've forced my way in a little bit because my work is quite illustrative. But, yeah, I'm sort of quite keen to sort of say it is comic art. Mm. Well, it's interesting that you should mention Marvel Comics because for the uber geeks who have got more money than sense, uh, Marvel and DC have been bringing out these lavish £100 uh, reproductions of original artwork so you can see all of the artists' original mistakes, the whiteout and the crossing outs and things. And that's something about your work. You're not afraid to show mistakes on the page. You almost seem to embrace it where you mm. can see rubbings out, you can see little bits of paper stuck over the art. Yeah, yeah. What's the interest in that, rather than say correcting those things in Photoshop? Um, it looks worse if I take it out. Like it, <laughs> it does. It looks really bad. Like if I, like for a while, I used to if I worked with ink, I'd pencil it first, and then about the pencil lines, and it just looked like someone had kind of pulled the skeleton out or something. It just sort of lacked a huge amount of depth. And I don't know if that's just from when I started out that I didn't have the technical skills to re-add it with color and shading. Um, but rather than learn to do that, I kind of just started leaving it in because I was happier with it. And like especially with characters' faces, like I found leaving the sort of the line working was really like you could see where they're looking a lot more, mm. and it sort of gave me a better depth of expression. Um, so yeah, it started out that it was just because it just looked a bit weird without it, um, and now like yeah, I think um, I just tried to keep the sort of first work like a bit thinner lines so it doesn't stick out too much. But yeah, that's. It's really interesting. It's kind of like a level of honesty in a way that you don't normally get in comics. You see all of the uh, kind of work that went into the page. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't think, personally, like, I don't know if it's because like, of where my drawing skills are at, but I don't look, think it looks worse for it. No, so, not at all. Um, yeah, it just, it just looks a bit 
weird if I take it out. <laughs> I think that's the only way I could describe it. I'll have to show you guys at some point, but it just yeah, it looks it just looks a bit two D and it sort of <laughs> loses um just ends up kinda of getting really flat and unexpressive, I think. Mm. I mean, and in terms of Avery Hill publishing, um, dare I say it, child-friendly comics, um, we have The Adventures of Parsley Girl uh, by Matthew Swan. Um, I've have, I have in my hand an earlier comic, um, Parsley Girl Mixed the Minus Hall, which presumably was self-published, yes. and then Avery um, have just brought out uh, Parsley Girl Carrots, in which an invasion of carrot creatures come to life and uh, <laughs> attack. Um, so was it as simple as you were making Parsley Girl comics and it's actually easier now to have them coming out from a publisher rather than self-publishing yourself? Um, it it kind of takes, takes some pressure off and adds pressure on at the same time. It was something that I was never going to say no to because mm. I think with Avery Hill there's they get a lot more reach and more distribution whereas mm. myself going to fairs and trying to kind of plug things online only reaches a certain level my friends help me who have maybe a bigger foot footprint online but mm. you know these guys I go to Toronto you know I'm never gonna go there by myself probably um, it just seemed like a no-brainer but then in addition to that the previous comics that I've made were primarily um, Oh, I've got a fair coming. I forgot to to do something. Let's do something new and rattle something out. And I thought I'd try a bit harder this time, put more time into it, and invest more time into it, particularly in the story side, because it was going to be distributed wider. Mm. And I felt felt a bit more pressure to <laughs> make something good rather than please myself. I wanted to try and please the readers as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was it was a challenge. And it doesn't really continue like, it, like the previous comics that I have published with this character. They don't really relate to the one coming out through Avery Hill. It's almost a kind of a complete fresh start in that way. Mm, a reboot, to use comic terminology. Yeah, <laughs> I would, yeah, yeah, I would say. And it's interesting that, you know, sort of 20, 30 years ago, there were all these stories in the media of... Uh, comics are not just for kids, but these days there don't actually seem to be enough comics for kids. Um, uh, Edie was saying that she struggles in a way of thinking about how to create comics for a, a child-friendly audience. Yeah. Has it ever been an issue for you, or have um, kids always gravitated to your work? I don't know. I've, I've not done any workshops with kids. I don't really know how they respond to my work. I did think when I was making this comic in particular that I'd um, try and veer away from any swearing or any sort of crass language and try and make it as age, all ages as I possibly could mm. I think I've done that mm. um, but I don't know Like it's hard. it's hard I think I've tried to make it as daft as I possibly could and I think maybe that will communicate to kids quite well because mm. it is just a silly somewhat nonsensical adventure story and mm. I wanted it to be as brightly coloured and poppy as I could make it I had a lot of fun making it mm. maybe that'll Maybe the readers will have a lot of fun reading it. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, when we were gathering in the uh, foyer before I started recording, you had a variety of different Parsley Girl uh, publications. Yeah. Going from like tiny A6 uh, black and white uh, issues to concertinas um, to, of course, now the Avery Hill edition. When it comes to creating comics featuring the character, are you open to any kind of size format? 
Um, yeah, I've not really thought in great depth about that. As I said, the, the kind of I, I view the comics that I have made more as exercises mm. into can I make a comic, mm. um, what style can I make the comic, and can I make it within this time period, mm. um, and then the end result is the end result, be it A4, A5, A6. The A6 ones are sketchbooks that will accompany mm. um, the uh, carrots with the, fir- the first 50 people to buy it will get oh, nice. sketchbooks. Okay. That's what the A6 ones are for. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of happy to experiment in all mediums. Will there be a, a collection, do you think, at some point of the whole saga so far? That, that would be pretty fun. I don't I, want to put I the have... publisher on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a hot question. Um, I think it's going to happen at some point. It would be fun, but I, I, I think if that were to happen, I'd I'd need to feel really comfortable in the ones that I've made myself and try not to change them in any way. Mm. Um, yeah, because I'd be liable to go back and rework them and probably not make anything new um, <laughs> if that was the case because there's so many things that I would probably like to change or wish I'd drawn differently mm. but that's the case with anything you make I think mm. I mean, with the uh, Avery Hill reboot um, did yeah. you uh, take the opportunity to do anything um, particularly different with this version of the character I mean because just you know looking through it uh, now certainly the colours are the most poppy that you've done so far <laughs> I, I did try not I tried not to compromise on the colours um, I also just added some more characters mm. trying to get some form of banter between very, like a number of protagonists rather than have Parsigal who doesn't really say a lot and and a lot of the other stories that I've made um, yeah I've totally forgotten the question <laughs> just if you took this opportunity to do you know to change anything um, I would maybe go back and well I, I would like to make it bigger I okay the um, first change, A3 comic change, change <laughs> well they're, they're drawn A3 they're, oh. the actual pages are A3 which in hindsight I would kind of wish I'd done them smaller because I would have got them drawn quicker mm. um but yeah, they're all A3 images, um, wow. which is a lot more fun to do because you can get big kind of strokes with your brush. It's just easier. Mm. So, Kat, as the uh, publicity uh, guru, as I've termed you, uh, for Avery Hill, what do your um, duties normally involve? Um, well, I do most of the sort of online um, social media stuff apart from Twitter. I think Ricky does most of that. Um, and then I do um, do a little bit of everything apart from being involved with the creators and kind of getting the books together. So mm. I'm dealing with getting it into shops, um, getting reviews, talking to press, and just trying to get it get the work in front of as many people as possible. That's mm. my main role, I think. And trying to just elevate Avery Hill's kind of um, profile so that more people know about us. And I guess as a small publisher, it's quite quite hard, you know, to find space in the media when everyone's vying for attention. It is, yeah. You definitely get the impression that it takes a while to, you know, people have to see your name a certain number of times before it actually sticks, and then they start to pay attention a little bit. But I think we're, we're making some a little bit of progress. Mm. Well, I guess having quite a white portfolio of very different types of comics maybe in a way makes it easier than if you were just publishing say superheroes because there's such a different uh, range of genres and styles there's about there is hopefully you know at least one thing that a certain uh, media outlet might latch onto and that can become a story to a certain extent yes definitely you certainly think of different people with specific books and also different shops that would like when I came across one really random shop 
um, I think it's in Nottingham, that was a bookshop rather than a comic shop. And they said they had an interest in places and geography, and I was ah. already thinking about oh, Tim Bird stuff <laughs> and I guess Owen stuff, and they, they ended up ordering that. So, mm. yeah, it's quite diverse, and it does help to give you an angle, I think, with different people. And it does seem that these days, um, with kind of boutique British comics publishers, um, you do find them in all sorts of places um, outside of traditional comic shops, whether mm. it's um, kind of T-shirt shops or music shops. Um, has, has it been quite easy to, to find those kind of additional venues? I'm not sure. I mean, you're never going to probably sell in quite the same volume as you will with a coin shop. Um, so you end up sort of dealing in small numbers sometimes. But it's still worth doing, I think, just to get it out. It's been interesting the work we've been doing with Retrofits mm. in America as well. Just making me think about how different or how much bigger the scene is there and how the shops and things. People tell me in certain American cities there are just 20 comic shops or something, and I think about London, <laughs> there's some great ones, but it's just, I don't know, it's just been interesting for me to see how different it is and how easy it is for them, it seems to be for them to sort of sell our books over there. But, yeah, it's, I think the UK is quite a, quite a small, isolated scene in a way, and part of what we were trying to do with setting up that distribution arrangement is to kind of increase channels by which small publishers can kind of get their work between the UK and the US a little bit, North America, because usually dealing with big distributors is expensive, just puts it out of the range of small companies like Avery Hill. Mm. And breaking those traditional distribution settings is one of our main challenges. Mm. Exactly as, as Kat described, trying to find find ways of working within within the comics infrastructure, but also breaking outside of that. So as you say, Alex, you know, finding other other places to, to um, that, that aren't just comic shops, bookshops, um, perhaps other shops to, to get that interest and break the, the, the conventional mould of what can be, um, a, in some aspects, a fairly insulated um, uh, industry. Mm. So so that's that's and, and certainly. Um, one of the main main, main reasons we brought Campbell was to, to try and explore that, and when we are making headway, it's not easy. I, mm. I, I think I think anyone would say that, but um, that's that's one of our commitments to our to our creators. We, we've got to break outside of, of, of the traditional distribution routes, uh, traditional uh, uh, kind of retail um, setup to, to, to maximise maximise um, the exposure to the work. Mm. Yes, it's, it's, but I, I think from the emails Kat sends on a fairly regular basis, it's not easy, but, but we're getting there, I think. <laughs> How much of uh, an editorial input do you and Ricky have on the projects that you're publishing? Um, it, it really varies. Um, it's purely um, dependent on, on how the creator wants to work and, mm. and the process they want to follow. So, um, as I said, Owen kept taking me to the pub, on the paper, <laughs> um, which is fine. Um, Matt, Matt working uh, on Parsley Girl was fairly, really straightforward. You had, you had the vision. I met you twice. Yeah, we were copy a couple of times. And it was like, that's fantastic. And then, you know, a couple of Skype calls, and, and then it was just um, putting it together. So, um, and, and yeah, think about Edie's work. Yes, yeah, it's just the pages flowing, and it's like fantastic. This is, this is great stuff. So, um, some creators require a bit more, a bit more um, input, which is absolutely fine. Um, some some work um, perfectly well independently, um, and that's fine as well. That, that that comes back to how we try and select the people mm. we want to work. Um, we, we only work with people a whose work we like which is mm. which is helpful but um, also who we um, are confident and trust mm. will, will um, put the right you know make, make the book that, that 
we believe they can make. So, yeah, I'm thinking about Tim Bird's book actually, uh, his last issue of Grey Area, uh, which won um, the British Comic Award for Best Comic last year. Mm. Um, and apart from a bit of research I did with him um, to, 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 look, to, 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 to look into the book, and a couple of early sketches he showed me, that was it. And he just sent me the finished book, and it was like, that's absolutely incredible. Mm. Um, because once he found once he found uh, the visual style he wanted to use, he knew exactly the story he was going to tell. So mm. it was just finding that early footing, and then and then the rest of it the rest of it flowed. So um, yeah, we, we're more than happy to provide him as much editorial support as is, as is required. But equally, if it's a light touch that's needed, that, that's, that's great as well. Mm. And how do you find the people that you publish? I mean, for example, you know, obviously a, a recent success was um, Tilly Walden's, uh, yeah, you know, nomination, but she's uh, uh, not a Brit, so you've cast your net wider. <laughs> yeah, and, and our, basic, our basic premise of, of, of selecting a creator or identifying a creator we work with is, is we love their work to start with, and, mm. and we believe that um, we, we want to make books that we... If, if we weren't putting them out, that we'd love to read ourselves and, mm. and, and own ourselves. So that's 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 the key the key starting point. Um, we get quite a few submissions. I'll be perfectly honest. We don't we don't tend to, to work with a huge amount of those, mainly because um, we have to um, forecast our, our schedule a fair way in advance, and so um, we're already looking, you know, kind of 2017 into 2018. So it's, it's difficult to slot those things in. Um, it, we, we mainly approach creators ourselves and, and see what they might be doing and, and if there's a project we could work with on them and, and on a perhaps a quarterly basis and, and, and Kat's involved with this now as well and um, we'll, we'll have a meeting we'll bring some, some ideas to the table of creators whose work we've seen or we've come across who, 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 who we like and we kind of have a bit of a um, We'll, we'll each make our case for the people we feel most strongly about, and, and then we will get down to a list of people we want to work with. So, and, and, and with Tilly um, being the specific example, um, I, I think we just we saw her work online. Um, it was it was she, she posted something on a blog. Um, Ricky Ricky spotted it actually. <coughs> um, we loved it straight away. Um, sent Tilly an email. She said, um, "Look, I'm at school. Can you leave me alone doing my exams?" Um, and, and if you talk to Silly, uh, on her side, she was thinking, "Who are these? You know, who knows from from, uh, from the UK? You know, knew nothing about us. You know, <laughs> trying to work out whether we were whether we were genuine or not." Um, but then once Tilly finished school and, and, and so on, we got back in touch, um, and yeah, she wowed us with, with the ideas she had. Um, so a, a lot of it's um, we, we go to a lot of. Um, fairs ourselves, we buy a lot of comics ourselves, we, we, we look for the for, for perhaps new creators who we can work with we've got a secret list of, of established creators we'd love to work with as well and hopefully we'll work, we'll work through those as time goes on but um, it, it, the, the central part of it is just finding people whose work we, we, we love and, and who we think you know, we'd love to see their book out there. And it also seems that we're now living in a period with um, uh, scanning with reproduction where you can just bring out any kind of comic so, for example, um, Owen's work, you know, is all grayscale and mm-hmm. it's all about reproducing the line on the page. And then Edie's work is a, is a kind of photographic uh, reproduction of every single mark, you know, that you make on the page. So it really takes a kind of a level of attention to detail to make sure that it is really an accurate representation, you know, of the paper that she gives you, presumably. 
Yeah, no, and, and that's massively important you know, yeah. to, to do justice to, to the work. When we were talking about Edie's um, work earlier on, that was one of the things that really drew me to, to her style, mm. is, the, is the honesty of it. It's, it's all there, and it's and it does, it brings it off the page, it brings it, it, brings it alive. It, you, you know, you realise that this has been worked on, this is, you know, this is, a, this someone has created this. Um, so it just has that different perceptive level to it. Um, with Matt's Matt's work, it was, it was making sure that we can we can get the colour and you know the the, mm. the, the poppy nature of it <laughs> as, as as best as we could because that that was absolutely key to to, to, to this book. So um, no, it, it's also it's never been easy for people to, to print their work as well for, for, for the same reasons, which mm. is why it's um, I think there's you know been a, a fairly recent explosion of, of, of self published work. Um, you know, it's not just photocopies and long arm staples anymore. Um, not that there's anything wrong with it, obviously, but but yeah, the accessibility of, of, of cheaper and high quality printing mm-hmm. ali- aligned to the to the um, you know software and, and various you know kind of processes that are available means you know you can put out a, a pretty professional looking comic book on your own now, um, which is great. You know, it just opens for, for, for creators as well. It just opens up so many so many more options. You don't you, they're not reliant on on the traditional. You know, kind of publisher relationship that you, you can you can make your um, you, can, you can really carve out a niche for yourself just 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 on your own if that's if that's what you want to do, which is which is massively important, I think. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Matthew Swan's graphic novel Parsley Girl Carrots, EDOP's Maleficium, and Owen Pomery's Collected Between the Billboards are all available now from Avery Hill. You can find more information about Owen Pomery's work by going to owenpomery.blogspot.com. That's O-W-E-N-P-O-M-E-R-Y.blogspot.com. You can find out more information about EDOP's work by going to edop.com. That's E-D-I-E-O-P.com. And more about Matthew Swan's work by going to matthewdanielswan.com. And Avery Hill's website is averyhillpublishing.com. This weekend is your last chance to check out the Comics Creatrix exhibition at the House of Illustration in Granary Square near King's Cross in London. And outside the House of Illustration this weekend is this year's Comica Comiquette Small Press Fair, where various comic book creators will be selling their self-published works in stalls outside the House of Illustration. Rachel Ball is the artist-in-residence this weekend, and you can find out more information about the exhibition by going to houseofillustration.org.uk. Just across town, the Great British Graphic Novel Exhibition continues at the Cartoon Museum on Little Russell Street, and on Thursday the 12th of May, it's Graphic Novel Night, part of Museums at Night at the exhibition from 6.30 to 9pm, with live events and a chance to see the exhibition after hours. On the 22nd of May, Dr Monica Walker will be giving a talk about V for Vendetta in the exhibition at noon and 3pm, and then there are various other talks and events taking place at the Cartoon Museum, including a Publishers' Roundtable on the 4th of June, a demonstration of Woodrow Phoenix's giant graphic novel She Lives on the 18th of June, and much more. Please go to cartoonmuseum.org for more information. At Gosh Comics, 1 Berwick Street in Soho, 
they have a signing of the new anthology Unfollow by creators Rob Williams, Michael Dowling, Matt Taylor, Tom Muller and Quentin Winter. And that's taking place on May the 19th from 6pm. And then on the 27th of May, there's a launch party for the new children's book When I'm a Monster Like You, Dad, by artists David O'Connell and Francesca Gambatezza. And that's on Friday the 27th from 7pm. At Forbidden Planet on Shaftesbury Avenue, just the other side of Cambridge Circus, on Saturday the 14th of May, Alec Worley, Pi Parr and the Sons of Balur will be signing their metal and horror-themed comic, Realm of the Damned, from 1pm. Then on Thursday the 19th of May, Paul Cornell will be in the store from 6pm, signing his new book, Who Killed Sherlock Holmes, as well as the graphic novel collection of his miniseries, The Four Doctors. For listeners in the Southwest, Cornell will then be signing at Bristol Forbidden Planet on Saturday the 21st from 1pm, where Rob Williams will be signing the new collection, Judge Dread Titan, on Saturday the 18th of June. For more information about all Forbidden Planet events, please go to forbiddenplanet.com stroke events. Then listeners in the south of England might like to come along to Cartoon County on the 6th of June, where I'll be talking to graphic novelist Creeper Joshi about her Art Aid Nepal anthology. That's from 7pm on Monday the 6th of June, and you can find out more information about Cartoon County, including the venue, by going to cartooncounty.com. Panel Borders was recorded, edited, and introduced by Alex Fitch, is a Panel Borders production, and you can find all previous episodes on our blog, www.panelborders.wordpress.com, and we'll be back on the second Tuesday of next month on Resonance FM. Thanks for listening. This program has been brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you liked what you heard and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm.